Hello and welcome to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this week's episode we're talking to Peter Smith. Peter Smith is based in Australia and is an internationally renowned group facilitator and master coach. Uh, this is a really important episode for me to get out because I thought I'd lost this one. Uh, this, this was actually on a... I was travelling around Australia, recorded this right at the end of the trip, and had to put it on a on a little mini laptop that I was taken around with me, which then broke. And I just thought that I'd lost the files. I thought it was stuck on the thing. And with a little help from my friends, we managed to retrieve it. So um, this was actually recorded over a year ago. And uh, I've managed to dig it out, which I'm really pleased about. So really uh, good to get this one out. Peter, as you're going to hear, is someone who, uh, so he's, you know, he's, he's world renowned. He's one of Australia's best known coaches and facilitators, worked with the UN and with some of the biggest names in the corporate world. But what I think is really interesting about this is it really captures for me something that I think Australia does really well, which is the focus not just on work-life balance, but on living a really full and vital life. And I think you're going to really hear this come through very strongly in Peter's philosophy and his lifestyle and, and sort of the emphasis that he places on being outdoors and just experiencing life for all its goodness. So I'm uh, really excited to bring this one to you. Let's go straight into it. So this is based in Sydney. I'm in a co-working space with Matt Cowdroy, who runs Think Productive Australia, and he's uh, very kindly set all this up for us. So here's my conversation with Peter Smith. Um, we should start by talking about the view, shouldn't we? Like, this place is amazing. Oh, so we're in Nouse House in Sydney, and uh, they've given us the room that sort of overlooks... We've got a little bit of harbour and a little bit of bridge and a little bit of sea. It's, uh, yeah, rather lovely to be here. Spoiled. I, I couldn't think of a better place to sit and have an interview. So you're based in Sydney, right? I live by the beach in Coogee, and I doubt that I'll live anywhere else on the planet because that's pretty damn cool. Okay. Yep, it's uh, 20 minutes to the airport in a taxi, 30 minutes to town on a yeah. bus, and uh, three minutes walk to the open ocean. Yeah, and would you would you still class that as Sydney? Is it because Sydney goes out quite far, doesn't it? It goes out to the west quite far, and yeah. I still don't understand why... The whole population is not on the beach, yeah. um, but that's a lifestyle choice that I've made. Uh, and so it is. Uh, it's it's. Oh, it's heaven. <laughs> Every day I swim in that ocean, I am grateful. Yeah. How how often in a week would you be out there swimming? Every day. Really, yeah. every day. Yeah, every yeah. day. If there's a big assignment where I've got to fly early in the morning, don't get back at night. I'll miss that day and I'll miss it. I will go and go. Oh, there's something missing. Yeah. Right. That'll be yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so I live by the beach as well, but there's probably about three days a year that I'm like willing to <laughs> hazard. A, I guess that the temperatures suit me for swimming in the sea, but that, you know, that's another story. Wondered about that. Yeah. Um, so you are a corporate trainer. You go out into companies and uh, and train. Yep. Um, and like, how long has that been your uh, sort of main career? I um, come out of um, college and started working in HR, learning and development. So right. about 15 years ago. I uh, saw the opportunity there for, for a great career and it aligned with my natural skills and abilities. Yeah. So it just made sense for me to pursue a career path which played to my strengths, which I enjoyed, which paid well. Uh, it just sort of all lined up. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you ever go into organisations and think, oh, I want to be here, like I want to... Because I do that sometimes. I go, I go into certain organisations and you just have a really good day and you, you're with a really good team and you kind of start to see how 
their relationships with each other are and are sort of evolving. Mm. Oh, I'd kind of like to be here all the time. Like, do you ever get that kind mm. of yeah. sense of the grass is always greener? That is the one thing that uh, is missed. And, you know, co-working spaces I've found are a, a good intermediary to that. And I've also, uh, when I'm working with teams of other facilitators uh, around the world, then there's a real camaraderie there because we often do work independently. Yeah. So to yeah. come together, we get uh, snapshots of that kind of environment without the political and bureaucratic mess that we can sometimes have to toil through. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot that um, I don't miss about being in large organisations and like mm. having to sort of navigate that politics and all that sort of thing. As well. And it's important perspective to have too from outside of an organisation. Yeah. yeah, There's this saying about culture in companies is that the fish that are in the water don't know they're wet. Mm. So it often takes that outside perspective to see things in a clear light and just reflect that back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you've been um, in that business for quite a long time. Like, what's what's been your um, how how have you changed the way you do business over that time, and how, you, how have you seen um, the role of a corporate tra- trainer change over over the last fifteen or so years? Mm, you know, um, I, I have a site at corporatetrainer.com com, um, and I really just set that up because back when I started, there was nothing of a, a kind of a resource for trainers and facilitators. Yeah. And indeed, the best way we learned was obviously through our um, graduate studies, at, at, you know, in a tertiary education environment. But, you know, there's like the coaching industry, there's a big industry in teaching folks how to do things rather than folks out there actually doing things. Yeah. And so that kind of watered down, I want to say, the integrity of, of what there is to learn around facilitation. Because you're not just a deliverer of content, you know, you've got to understand the organisational dynamics and you've got to understand how to consult to that. Yeah. You've got to understand, you know, just all of these sort of uh, things that occur for employees and management and leadership that often just show up in the training room. And if you're not across those, then it becomes quite a one-dimensional, dry sort of learning yeah. atmosphere yeah. or indeed um, outcome that you'll achieve. And so, so the way it's evolved for me is that, um, and, and essentially uh, where it's evolving now is that organisations can take more of an opportunity uh, to to bring in facilitation and training that has a connection to how the organisation can help solve society and community problems. I'm a little yeah. idealistic about this, but I think it's that time where, and a lot of recent articles in BRW really sit around this notion that leadership development isn't quite developing leaders and um, What's BAW? Uh, Business Review Weekly. Oh, okay. Um, BRW. Okay. Yeah, and so so what what that's uh, revealing is that um, you know the way we're doing training needs to change, and so yeah. my approach has evolved with that too because I often find people shoved into a training environment and um, they you know necessarily don't want to be there, don't think they should be there, think their boss should be there, and so. I'm doing the heavy lifting that the organisation could have and should have done yeah. to get them engaged yeah. in that learning environment. And so so there's questions around engagement and there's questions around productivity when I witness that in that snapshot of the training room. Yeah. Mm. And how much what's your split between between training and sort of delivering content versus facilitation and like being the person who facilitates meetings and helps people to solve problems? Yeah, so look, that's a really good question because it's important to delineate amongst those and it's probably about 50-50. Okay. Yeah, and so you can be a trainer that sort of delivers material, but then you have to be a facilitator to facilitate the learning of that Mm, material. Yeah. 
And then sometimes when you're in a pure facilitation process, whether that's a strategic planning thing, a problem-solving thing, a decision-making thing, then um, there are times where you have to kind of put a concept up on the wall, uh, you know, an approach, a way of thinking about things, a decision-making matrix or whatever. I'm engaged a lot with the United Nations around the world working on mission-critical assignments. And so what can often occur there is that I've got a room full of PhDs and scientists and human rights lawyers and smart cookies. And so I can't assume that I'm the one that knows it all. If I do, I'm in danger. Yeah. It just doesn't yeah. smell right. Yeah. So I certainly need to draw on the collective intelligence of the room, but I just provide a framework for that, a structure, an architecture for that. Yeah to direct their thinking to the problems they're trying to solve and the decisions they're trying to make. Yeah, and one of my friends in the UK who's, um, uh, yeah, also does, coincidentally does um, some facilitation stuff in Europe with the UN as well. Um, He sort of describes it like at the start of the day, um, you hand over your car keys to the facilitator, right? And it's like, so you give them the car keys and then for, for the duration of that day, they're the one driving, they're the one sort of, handling the pace and handling the navigation and all that sort of thing and you're kind of the backseat driver in your own business or organisation mm, I, mean? I really like that sort of analogy as well Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. trust that goes with that and there's a lot of um, very uh, um, essential rapport that needs to be developed to hand over yeah. the keys to your car and, 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 and that needs to be held with a lot of respect and when you're doing um, facilitation like that What's your? Do you have like a set process that you go through before the day itself in terms of how you get up to speed with what the issues are and who the key stakeholders are and all that sort of thing? Yes. Do you have like a you know yeah. what's 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 yeah. what's the first planning meeting that you'd have with that client? Like what what are you talking to them about? Yeah, look, it's about looking at you know where they're at, and where they want to go. It's as simple as that. You know, what are the the capabilities, the competencies, the systems, the structures that they have in place? What is the change they're trying to bring about? And what would need to change in those capabilities, competencies, structures and systems to get them to that change? Yeah. Um, And and so that conversation, uh, you know, can go anywhere from half an hour to two, three hours. But it's not the only conversation to have, and it's a very important phase. Um, um, Peter Block calls it the contracting phase. What that essentially means is that if you haven't done that right, those initial discussions and resultant design framework, then, um, don't know if I can swear, but the ship will hit the fan. Yeah, you, you On the say, day, yeah. <laughs> the ship will hit the fan, and what will happen is that um, the, 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 the things can derail, and the organisational uh, context will have an impact on the outcomes. So what that means is uh, if those things haven't been signed off, wrestled with, understood and included, then they will have an impact on how things unfold for the day. And what that essentially means is that you may not have the right people in the room or you might be kind of working on the wrong problem. Yeah. And so there might be other leaders that need to be present or there might be other things that need to be discussed. So as a facilitator you're kind of going to be willing to throw it out the window if what's happening in front of you is not working. Yeah. And you've got to make something up on the spot. But do you see it as well, like if you're going into somewhere to facilitate an away day for a day, do you have a sense in your head of, okay, so it's it's that day, but it's also about three days of the conversations before and two days. Like how do you quantify 
the meeting itself or the event itself versus the engagement and for sure that, that's know. a great question because um you know a lot of people subscribe to this notion of uh, 70 2010 you know in the training world yeah the 10 is what happens in the training room the 20 is coaching on the job the 70 is you know what happens on the job learning but that assumes that the 10 percent of that training is going to hit the mark and they want to be there and all those other things i mentioned before that assumes that the coaching is done and reinforced by skilled coaches back in the workplace yeah and it assumes that the system structure capabilities and competencies of the organization and the culture support that 70 so I kind of flip that a bit and think about 40-20-40. So 40% happens before the engagement, yeah. making sure that it's targeted, that it's specific to the individuals who will be in the room and what, what's trying to be solved or decided. And then the 20% is that learning environment, is that exploration, that discovery, that design thinking, that innovation, that prototyping, whatever it needs to be. And then the 40% is, well, how do we embed this? How do we drive this in the culture? How do we go through a change management process to do to do due respect to the work we did in the forty twenty at the yeah. start, yeah. yeah, and um, yeah, you'll find forty twenty forty in the copy of my book that I've just given you there. So, in the meetings chapter. So there you go. Didn't know that. That's great. Go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's talk about you. So um, aside from uh, aside from your work, what keeps mm. you busy? What keeps me busy is adventures. I am uh, fortunate in that I get flown around the world. And, um, you know, when I was younger, and this is the thing that uh, I, I, I used to uh, whistle the tune to Indiana Jones and the Raiders <laughs> Lost Ark. And so my friends know that if, if you know, we went canyoning on the weekend and, uh, and they, they knew where I was in the bush, could, <laughs> could hear me whistling that tune. <laughs> so I've had the good fortune and I write about these adventures on my site at corporatetrainer.com and it's just really about, um, you know, if I take a look at my calendar, I think, okay, I've got this job here for four days in, let's say, for instance, where was I? Uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Yeah. So what's around Nairobi, Kenya? I'll get in there and, you know, adventure. Uh, literally, I'll Google adventures in Kenya. <laughs> and sure enough, Masai Mara. So I'll go on a safari. Yeah. I did a job in um, Mumbai, so adventures in Mumbai. And there was a great little yoga retreat that, that happened, uh, you know, 10 days, all you can eat, massage, meditate, yoga. Um, so... So, yeah, I, I live for the adventures. And, and that could be as simple as just grabbing my kayak down down, down by the beach and yeah. pulling out for an yeah. hour or two. Mm. Cool. Um, and tell me about home and home and family and all that side of things. No family at this stage, and I think that's probably a good thing, living the lifestyle that I live. <laughs> my home home is down uh, country Victoria, so I'm very much a country boy. Yeah. So living in the city, it was pretty important that I have uh, somewhere by the ocean to, yeah, cool. uh, to, to just sort of navigate that open space. As a country boy, you know, you'd appreciate that that's important when you're in an <laughs> urban environment. And would you, like, like what, so what do you miss about the countryside? Like, I'm always interested by that sort of, uh, you know, the sort of city versus country mm, dynamic mm. and, like, why people choose different things. But like, what, uh, what do you miss? What about I miss the is, and I'll tell you an example, I have, I have property, a number of properties down there, and uh, um, one of them's being turned over, the tenants have moved out. It needed uh, new uh, carpet, new heater and a new oven and then something needed to be done with the bathroom. And so the, the guy that has the oven went to school with my older brother. Right, right. Uh, the heater, sorry. The guy that sold me the oven in the store in town I went to primary school with. Um, the, the, the guy that's going to do the gas fitting is <laughs> someone that used to go out with my sister. And I could just call these people and just kind of go, yeah, you know, mate, <laughs> in a very country Australian sort of accent way. And, and, and just so... 
connecting in with that community, I think, really uh, is the biggest difference that I've found in a city. Because in a city, yeah. everyone's busy, they're rushing around, everything. I can go home and just dial into something that's always going to be there. Whereas in the city, people move around, they you know, have careers, they get busy and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. being able to just dial back into something that you know is, is close to your heart is really important. Yeah. So in terms of um, where you're at now, so it sounds like work-life balance, adventure, um, and lifestyle are things that you think about quite a lot. Mm. Um, what do you... Uh, like, do you feel like you have uh, the work-life balance and the lifestyle that you want or if there's something else that you wanted to be different about that what would that be um the answer is no mm. it's exactly where i wanted it to be yeah and and you know it's a funny thing because it's it's very much a a, a parallel journey i believe in one's life and that i've certainly focused on and i think for me it was driven by watching my father work hard to raise the family um, he was a train driver, so it was always night shift and he was always away and things like that. And and so our holidays were always something that he looked forward to and so we were all engaged in that. Yeah. But I thought about that trade-off that he gave for that and I kind of think, and then what's his name, um, the four-hour work week guy. Spoke oh, Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Tim Ferriss spoke about this four-hour work week and, and mini retirements. Mm. And and I the thing is that I you know I could have written that book twenty years ago because I realised like well I'm not going to haul my ass like Dad did for so long to find that freedom I want to find it in between things yeah and so that became a kind of a parallel process that my professional uh, and financial freedom grew with my time freedom because out there I I I, I sense there's only world according to Pete in my opinion is that people can have lots of financial freedom but maybe not the time freedom to enjoy it yeah or they can have lots of time freedom whether they're a struggling artist or someone that's pursuing their passion but not the financial freedom to enjoy that time i suppose maybe the the difference between that though is like you know financial freedom if you depends how you define financial freedom doesn't it because if you define financial freedom as uh getting paid in passive income or having the ability to define what you do with your time then of course you have the time to enjoy whatever you want yes. in that sense yeah. but lots of people have financial wealth and don't yeah. have the good distinction um, to make you're right the time to spend yeah, that wealth absolutely yeah and so for me it was about qualifying well what does financial freedom look like for yeah. me yeah. and that's living in a beautiful apartment with a wraparound balcony by the beach it's being able to take a week off and go you know on a safari or a yoga retreat in between assignments. Yeah. It's, it's just been, you know, the work doesn't happen over Christmas and New Year, so I'm going to do some volunteering in Sri Lanka. So it's just about kind of like, you know, if, 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 if I don't know, I wanted to go to Burning Man and, yeah. and I don't have yeah. the responsibilities of someone in a large organisation, um, perhaps with a younger family. Yeah. And that was a very conscious choice and that may change in time. Um, I would imagine that that change would have to fit with my lifestyle. Right, yeah, because I was going to ask you about that. I mean, so there's a double uh, luxury that you have. So not the responsibility of being in an organisation mm-hmm. is one set of shackles off mm-hmm. and then not the responsibility of having a family and to support and mm-hmm. bring up and mm-hmm. all the rest of it, like, is another freedom in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, like, so do you have, what's your vision for how that would fit around your lifestyle? And is, is that something that you're kind of actively seeking? Are you kind of... 
I, look, I'm not actively seeking um, because that means that I'm somewhere other than here and now. Yeah. And so, you know, to actively seek something, yeah, that's a good question. No, I'm actually more about attracting things into my life. Mm. And so it's as good as that's I feel a, that's, it can that's be. That's a nice philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, you so know... if it comes, it comes, and then it, it'll be the right thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about... Um, yeah, look, it's about I've, I've attracted everything that I have wanted, the, mm. and, and most importantly, the experiences, not the material things. Yeah. You know, I don't have a sports car with a sunroof. I'd like that, but it's kind of like, yeah, you know, I mean, sure, we're going to have driverless cars yeah. in a number of yeah, years, yeah. and it's cheaper yeah. to run an Uber and a taxi here and there. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are certain material decisions that I've made. I think to answer your question about how could that be incorporated, um, was that movie recently... Uh, the something experience where the father had all of his children out in the wilderness and brought them up understanding the ways of the world and then when the you know education department cottoned on to it they tried to force them into schooling and it just didn't fit all oh, right no i didn't see that i, I think i'd be a bit rebellious <laughs> if i was to sort of bring a family up that we you know may just as happily live out of uh you know some some kind of uh you know um one of those big uh, Buses in America that the family gets around in oh, retirement. Like the Winnebago. Winnebago. Like that. That's that's it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd be more inclined. Why wait until retirement to do that? Yeah. You know, yeah. The, 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 in all the, um, you know, reflection that, that that corporate leaders make about finishing their time, is that they'd wish they'd spent more time when their family was mm. younger. Yeah. So, like I say, thanks, guys. That's a heads up for me. That's a heads up, and so mm. build it in such a way that you can. Because if there is a shackle that stops you from doing that, then that's your shackle. Yeah, and, and then by and then by the time that comes along, you've already spent enough time sort of building the building blocks of business and lifestyle and yeah, and it becomes a little bit yeah. of a sunk cost the wrong term, but it becomes a bit of a, a commitment thing that you've walked down that path. You think, oh well, I might as well wait for this handshake or mm, that position yeah, or yeah. that income. And to me, that's just like you know attracting someone or something into my life that would add to it. It's kind of like, well, it's pretty good now. You know, and it's sort of like the mm-hmm. uh, iPod. We didn't know mm-hmm. we needed that until we got it. We're yeah, happily right, right. moving along in yeah. life. <laughs> um, so, and what's on what's on the newest version of your iPod? So, what are you streaming on your iPhone? Oh, uh, you know, look, <laughs> I'm actually a bit of an old classic. So, you know, I'm an '80s tragic. Whether it's Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Van Halen, right? You know, even I cranked out some Jean Michel Jarre the other day. <laughs> right. Rodriguez is touring here in Australia at the moment. So, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, good soulful music from the '70s and '80s. <laughs> so, you strike me as someone who, like, you don't necessarily have a lot of stress in your life. Is that? Do you think that's, is that a fair? Assumption? Yeah, it's a fair assumption. And and I was I was thinking about this prior to this interview. Any stress that I do have is a first world problem, man-made stress. And I'm the man, and I'm the one that's made it. Mm. Yeah. And, and so say more about that in, in terms of where do you think that's, where does that stress come from? And Well, I think it comes from my own internal kind of, uh, gee, this is counter, counterintuitive, my own internal adaptation to the world around me. And so for, for the most part, it's sort of like stress comes in, and we either deal with it or we don't. Yeah. It affects us or it doesn't. Yeah. Stress comes into me, and it's not stressful. It's kind of like, well, this is life. This is kind of like you just overcome this. You just do what you need to do to um, get around this obstacle and move on. But for me, um, it's more of an internal journey. And so 
um, the stress occurs when my thinking isn't straight yeah. or, or indeed there's feelings that I don't understand. And so, you know, to be really honest, it's about sometimes um, working through my feelings. That, mm. that kind of, uh, I don't know, don't know another way to describe that, but yeah. we're not taught how to do that very well. And if they're really strong feelings, um, you know, the neuroscience shows that it can kind of th- throw us out of balance for internally. Sure. Yeah. I guess the metaphor, the best metaphor for you is, last week I did a keynote, really difficult subject, difficult audience. Internally, I was freaking out. You know, I don't think I was breathing. I think I was sweating. I think yeah. I was pacing left yeah. and right and stuff like that. People were coming afterwards saying, that was awesome. That was amazing. Mm. You were incredible. That was one of the best I've ever seen. You didn't have slides. You walked around the group. And so it's kind of like, you know, the external veneer um, may hide something else going on. So there are times when stress that's happening for me is when I can't reconcile what I'm feeling. Yeah. So that was an example. I was yeah. doing a great job getting a job done. But inside, I was trying to assuage and reconcile and make sense of and 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 um, take care with. Mm. Yeah. And I guess some of those, is, you know, I have that when I do certain keynotes where it's like there's a lot riding on the audience or it's a partic- it's a sector that I've not done much work in and, you know, that sort of imposter syndrome thing that you get. Exactly, um, yeah. It's when you find yourselves in circumstances that um, the, the pressure's on Yeah. And, and it actually doesn't show, but internally you're adapting, you're adjusting, you're yeah. kind of, it's not even doubting yourself, you're just kind of like going, righto, this is new, this is bringing up feelings I'm not sure of and haven't had mm. before or ones that I don't quite understand. Yikes, I've got to do something with this. Yeah, I want to talk a bit more about stress in a minute mm. and um, some some of the times that you spent in war zones and stuff. Mm, mm, um, mm. Before I do that, the other thing that struck me there is, do you think there's a, you know, like the Aussie male is not necessarily known. I mean, it's like a very alpha uh, male kind of culture compared to, say, the British sort of. Uh, slightly well, I don't. Well, I don't know if that's true. As I'm saying that, I don't <laughs> it know. is contestable. Um, in in that, you know, um, the there is that sort of very macho British part to culture, but there's also a sort of emotion, emotional kind of repression thing in mm. Britain, which I think probably does lead to uh, there being, you know, like more awareness these days because of because of that culture around stress and mm. how to manage your own feelings and you know and, and, and kind of getting in touch with mm. um, some of those feelings I was just noticing a couple of days ago actually it was um, International Men's Day and a lot of the people in my Twitter feed who were um, tweeting about that it's kind of a weird thing International Men's Day anyway but uh, a lot of people were kind of turning their attention towards suicide and um, suicide being the biggest killer in men under 40 and all that sort of stuff kind of really felt like there was um a more open conversation happening just around how men think about their feelings and are aware of their feelings and stuff. Mm-hmm. So do you think, what do you see when you go around the world? Do you think like, is that a harder thing for Australian business culture to take in or is that just? Yeah, I, I do believe so. Um, and, and it's not just Australia, it is around the world. Um, you know, we're not educated to um, work through our feelings in a constructive way. Mm. And I certainly, in the past, have been challenged by the strength of my feelings and that um, thrown me off balance. Yeah. And and what I've learned just through my research around emotional intelligence and around neuroscience, because I wanted to kind of get rid of the fluffy tree hug and heart yeah. on the sleeve yeah, aspect yeah, yeah. to it and yeah. make it really hard data. Um, 
and, and there's there's great research around um, uh, post traumatic stress disorder, and 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 one aspect of that's there's a great analogy of like when a um, a wildebeest or an impala is out in the the Serengeti, and they notice something rustling in the distance. Um, and we could call that stress. We could call that someone's email, a board meeting, yeah, whatever that is. Yeah. When they notice that stress out in the Serengeti, their senses come alive. And indeed, you asked me about Warzone, and I'll speak to that a bit more, but when you're thrown into those stressful environments, it can be a stimulant if it's managed in the right way. And um, what they go on to use in this analogy is that after that threat has passed for that impala or that wildebeest or whatever... They then shake their body. They literally shake their mm. muscles and shake their body right. and then go on eating the grass and there's nothing yeah. to happen. Yeah. And I, I truly believe that um, there is not enough permission. It's not that we're going to get up from our desk and jump around and shake and dance. But there's not enough permission and outlet to uh, kind of express and explore emotion in a way that gives it a construct rather than a, uh, you know, this meeting sucks and you're an idiot, I'm not going to listen to you. But yeah. in a way that, you know, we do it, but it's a beer after work. It's, you know, punching up someone on the footy field. It's, you know, it's it's vigorous exercise at the gym. Mm. You know, there are other ways, whether, whether it's dance or whether it's just sort of, you know, yoga or something like that, to keep moving the energy and the feeling and the motion. It mm. has to, women do it really well. They sit and they talk it through. They don't try to fix it like men do. They don't hold on to it like men do. They just navigate their way through it. Mm. And so I think in organisational culture, to answer your question, there needs to be a forum, a format, a structure, a way of navigating through it so that it's not seen in an irrational light, so that it's not seen in a light that doesn't have an impact. Because if you look at how emotional intelligence is not the victory of head over heart or heart over head, it's the unique intersection of both. Yeah. So it needs to be inclusive. Hmm. Um, so tell me about some of those um, uh, yeah like what have, what have been the stressful moments for you in those war zone environments then let's talk about that well this is the thing you know whether I'm highly strung they actually haven't been stressful mm. they've been super duper exciting like landing in Kabul and getting into a you know rusty old Russian helicopter and and flying over the, the, the craggy mountains of eastern Afghanistan and you look down and yeah. sure you can see goat herders tending to their flock and villages going about their rural life but you're waiting for someone with a rocket launcher yeah. and to me it was more like well I signed up for this adventure and mm. I can say I signed up for this adventure called life it sounds a bit cliche but I signed up for it and this is a part of it so if that guy is down there with his rocket launcher and he's going to take us out now then so be it no, really though? Yes, really. So, so be it, really? Yes, yes, really. Because it's like, if it's going to happen, then I'm putting myself in as much circumstance where it's as likely to happen. And so at least, and you often hear this, people say, oh, he went out doing the thing he loved. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. That's utterly true. If I had gone out then, it would have been, well... But you could just get a nice corporate gig in, in a bank rather than go to Afghanistan oh, but and I train hear there. too much like, of the, the, what is the <laughs> leading lives of quiet desperation. I hear too much yeah. of this. And that's not to take away from the people that are in those roles and do love their job and love being able to support their families in those roles. I'm not invalidating that. Yeah, no, I'm saying, I'm saying rather that, so there are plenty of of training gigs out there in the world. Oh, yeah, no. Um, see, now and we've got to... you could go and do a really nice keynote for an hour for a bank. <sighs> 
earn the same money as having no. to fly over Afghanistan with a rocket being pointed at you. The difference is it makes a difference. Mm. Yeah, it makes a difference because the people, and I mean, this was a great example going into eastern Afghanistan. The people there, that had their food budget cut by 75% by the World Food Programme. Wow. The, the tribal chiefs in the camp on the border wouldn't let these guys back in. Like, no, nah, forget it, you're not coming in. We had to come up with a solution. We had to work as a team and come up mm. with a solution. It wasn't until the last day that I was there. We were in lockdown because of threat of an ambush. And, and I, you know, remember I, I would go out onto the balcony in, in the compound and there was open, dusty fields and children playing cricket and life just going along normally, yeah. you know, the sounds of um, people enjoying their, their afternoon teas and things. And there were the sentry guards with their full kit of, of military um, hardware. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, this, this this is living. I'm here to solve a problem. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and it wasn't until the next day we went out to the supplies uh, to see what was left in one of the, the, the supply um, buildings. And we were coming back and, and the, the, the guy in the back seat noticed his cousin in a cart, had some apples and we had a chat. He gave us an apple and we're like, wait a minute, you know, where, where did this come from? And where is there more of this? So we started to think about well, where are the market gardeners, the farmers, what are the supply chains within the local community that we mm. can build into the camp? So, so the solution for me, and that's now where my commitment and my kind of mission is in life, is how can we include more of the community and the society and organisations in solving more complex problems? Because UN can't do it alone. Mm. The World Bank can't do it alone. Uh, if, if, if we're going to achieve these sustainability development goals for 2030, then we need corporate help. Yeah. And there's a way to do that, and I'm committed to finding that way. Mm. So just as you were describing that, you know, being in the camp, it's on lockdown, you're trying to find solution and all that, kind of feels like it's working in an environment where you're really in that state of flow, like you're very present, like everything's, do you know what I mean? Everything's like so vivid and happening yep. on that, it's almost like coming back to what you were saying about the um, animal in the bushes, you know, you've got your senses fired. Yep, right? totally. So is that like, is that, does that become addictive? Is that something that you, are you sort of chasing the next one of those or, you know, d- does that become mm-hmm. a, a thing that you're sort of looking for? Addiction is the wrong word because I don't miss it. Yeah. But I know that. But that it's compelling. It's compelling. Yeah. And so, so I kind of, you know, I, your listeners may come from anywhere. I kind of put the question to them is, is what they're doing compelling? And how can you find more compellingness? New word for the mm. day. Because, you know, if your job only has snippets of that, yeah. then in what way is that representative of your life just having snippets of that? Yeah. Because you give five-sevenths of your life to it, five-sevenths, and you always hear these stories about people on their deathbed saying, oh, I wish I had spent more time at the office. Never. Yeah, yeah. And so with this term work-life balance, I think it's a misnomer. It's mm. life balance. It's life-life. Yeah, life-life. Yeah. Like life, yeah. It's life-life. It's what you do. Mm. So why not give all of you to that? Yeah. Or not give it to something that is that. And there are some logistical and operational uh, necessities around that in terms of earning an income and transitioning in your life, whether it's night school, to learn that new thing that you do. But follow your heart. Follow your heart. But I... I yeah, I'm still, I'm still interested in the transaction that's taking place there, and the fact that if you're following your heart by seeking out those really compelling moments of you feeling in flow, 
you're often doing that with the trade-off being you might well be putting yourself in danger or you, you know, to go where the work is most uh, most needed or you feel like you can make most of a difference. Yeah. Um, yeah, you might well be, you know, shot down by that yeah. rocket as you go over the yeah. uh, mountains there. So, like, is that, I mean, just is that something that you think about or, you know, how, how do you... Look, the, 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 I guess the reconciliation that I seek and I, and I guess I'm inviting others to seek is what is the trade-off? And so let me sort of unpack that a little bit. Um, for instance, this year I did this change management program, Australia-wide for big international organisation, and it was just so run-of-the-mill, you know, shove 30, 30 people in a room, get them across this material. There was no heart and soul in it. They didn't want to be there. It's not going to make much difference. And for me, doing that was like, well, you know what? I'm not doing this for the organisation. I'm doing this for every individual in this room, and, and I'm reaching to them. And so I reconcile doing that as a trade-off because, you know, it's not a lucrative thing doing this for the UN, but in some ways they're financing that to do that. Yeah. So so, so you've got to kind of think about what the trade-off is in your life, that if you're going to, you know, wait for the handshake in three years because then you'll get another bonus or whatever, then are you willing to settle for the trade-off of missing putting your kids to bed? If you're willing to do that, then work towards it. But if that costs too great, that that's a you've got to reconcile that mm. and reconcile what you're missing. Yeah, I remember um, going to see Elizabeth Gilbert speak. You know, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love and um, Big Magic and all that stuff. And yeah. so she was talking about how to choose, like the advice she gives for young people grad- graduating college about like kind of how to choose the kind of career that they want. And she says it's not about you know thinking about the career that you want it's thinking about the career that you want but you're also prepared to eat the shit sandwich that goes with it yep. you know and so obviously if it if that's a big banking job or a lawyer's job that kind of the shit that you have to eat with that is Absolutely. that yeah you will be home late and you will probably miss yeah. your school assembly and all, yeah. all those kind of things right but like it's i guess with all of those things, it's about what's the trade-off in, the trade-off? in all those different... It looks different for different yeah. people. I had a guy that I made a pilot for a TV show a uh, number of years ago just because I woke up for the idea for it. <laughs> what does it take to make a TV show? So, you know, just pursued that and made a pilot. That's and an interesting question. What does it take to... Oh, it was amazing. I, had, I rang a television station. I said, yeah. how do you make a TV show? You know, that was right. my first question. I'm like, well, you need this and this and ABC and you might want to talk to this person. So it became this... And this is what I really want to get across. And you got a meeting from that? Yeah, you got a meeting, met with a producer, met with an executive producer. Cool. I I know how to make a TV show. And so I kind of want to encourage people that, you know, if there's an idea you've got, just talk to one person who's one step close to that idea. Like, I woke up the idea for a TV show. (laughs) Television stations make TV shows. And that one conversation can enroll in the next one and then the next one. Yeah. And and in all the kind of career coaching that I've done for folks, I always suggest that it's a two-year journey from one point to another. You can do it sooner, but allow there to be a two-year journey of conversations, night school, volunteering, whatever mm. it is that can kind of turn that arc around into something that's um something that's going to, you know, fill your fill your heart up. But to, yeah, so so the TV show that I made the um the guy that was my DOP, the, the cameraman, he uh, he does ad, he, he um, films advertising, you know, for, for cars and you know, houses and whatever. And you know, there's no soul in that for him. He's just slapping it out on the television yeah. station. 
But that finances him being able to do documentaries right. in you know yeah. refugee camps and you know in, in, in poverty stricken nations and in mm. war zones, so that he can get that message out through his documentaries. There's a lot of people like that. I'd probably even I'd put myself in that bracket as well of like a sort of the one person walking social enterprise, right? Where you do certain bits of work or you have certain parts of your life that uh, bring in the revenue in order to sort of subsidise things that you wouldn't do otherwise unless you had that sort of ability to cross-subsidise stuff as well, right? Like, Yeah, it's an interesting... Um, no one's really written the book about that, actually. Maybe one of us should. <laughs> Quick, take notes. There you go. Um, so I just wanted to ask you a little bit about productivity, mm-hmm. uh, seeing as that's uh, obviously my bag. And you're, so you're holding the Productivity Ninja book with you. So what do you um, like? What do you look for to measure in terms of what what does a productive day look like for you? A productive day for me feels feels like I, that's an important word. Feels like I've had balance. Mm. So for example. I, I I get up and, you know, you, you'll see these kind of memes on the internet, you know, 10 things successful people do before breakfast and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And and I, to be frank, I think those lists suck because... Oh, we were just having this conversation oh, yesterday. It's totally. So it's like yeah. everyone's different. The 10 things successful one person does before breakfast might be to sleep in and that works for them. Yeah, no, Matt, who runs Think Productive Australia, was talking about... Um, I contributed a chapter to this book um do you know doodle um doodle who are like a scheduling tool so basically like you want to set up a meeting and then you use doodle and come up with three or four options and people vote on it and it's a really good way of just finding where the the consensus is on dates so they did a productivity book about a year ago 18 months ago and they asked me to contribute a chapter and i think the chapter was on something like what's your morning routine it's one of those sort of things and loads of other productivity people and kind of similar people also did chapters and then it, they put it together as this kind of big book. And um, Matt Cowdery from Think Productive Australia was saying to me yesterday, like, oh, yeah, I read that Doodle book. And I was like, oh, I didn't even look at it. What was the rest of it like? like he said, oh, it was really funny because all the other productivity people, they were all sort of giving you these um, sort of re- morning routines of perfection. And it got to like the, the Graham chapter that I'd written and it was just like, oh, I don't really believe in all of that. And Matt was like, perfect, because that was exactly... What I wanted from you is is the idea of, you know, human, not superhero, and don't worry about trying to be perfect the whole time. And it, he said it kind of really stood out like a sore thumb. So, yeah, yeah having that exact yeah. same conversation. Yeah, no, and, and and see, this is about tuning in to, uh, and look, I hope this doesn't sound too far out there, but tuning into a deeper current in your life mm. is that, you know, instead of getting up and, you know, going straight to the gym at 5.30 a.m., Maybe you have to lie in for 20 minutes and get in touch with your dreams and what feelings they brought because they're there as a signal. And you're, you're meaning dreams as in the dreams you just had. Yeah, like, in the night, yeah, during the night yeah. kind of thing. And, and look, at you know, that, that's a whole other world. We're not talking about that, but I'm talking about, you know, sometimes you wake up and there's just something niggling at you. Yeah, yeah. Some, perhaps there's an intuition trying to get through. Perhaps there's an instinct that, want, that wants your attention. It, it's like... That might mean that you're not going to get up and do your routine because you just have to lay there and be with that. And mm. I think all too often, busyness jumps in. Oh, the alarm's gone. I've got my perfect routine. I'm going to be successful. Like, I want to say the F word to that because I yeah. just think that that we are all individual and, and these lists are a prescription, just like going to the wrong chemist and getting the wrong prescription for what you've got. So you have to find your own. Mm. And I've found my own. I do 
90 minutes of yoga, qigong, meditation, gratitude, journaling before I engage with the world. Yeah. That's my time. And sometimes it might be 20 minutes of meditation instead of 40, 10 minutes. I just go with it. But I just know that no one's coming in in that 90 minutes. And then after that, it might be 7, 7.30 that I'll start. I'll work hard for two hours. Because I know, just from the neuroscience, that my, that's my best dopamine. Yeah. And, like, you know, don't address the emails that have come in overnight from overseas. Just handle the most important thing. And I'm sure you talk about this, and a lot of these productivity guys talk about this. So that is one thing that works. Do that. And then I – and this is you know, this is still a challenge, but then at about 9.30, 10 o'clock, I go down the beach for two hours. Mm. Exercise, stretch in the sun. You know, if I'm going to make calls, I'll make a few calls down there and stuff like that. So that sounds great. And and my immediate thought is, what's the challenge? That's look the for me. That's what feels yeah. interesting there, right? Yeah, no, totally. The challenge is, and it's still alive for me. So this is you know not peak perfect. The challenge is still reconciling that I should be working. Yeah. And it's a it's a it's a self employed thing, and I'd love it if there are other self employed people listening. Is like, is this you too? I, I really want to know that because it's. And some days it's like, yes, I'm self-employed. I can do this. Other days I'm like, oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. So before you talked about stress, this is the stress I'm mitigating. Yeah. It's like, Pete, you've done two hours of work. You could have done this two hours ago. You know, it's the middle of the day. Most people are in an office block looking out at the beach, wishing they were there. Shut up and enjoy it. And is that fear or is it guilt or is it something else? A little bit of fear that I'm not doing all I could do and I hate to use the word should, should do because yeah. as soon as the word should comes in, yeah. then I'm starting an arbitrage with myself. And then should that is me- such a poisonous word, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, it makes you a sucky boss. Yeah. My own boss yeah. and I'm a shitty boss. Yeah. I'd yeah, say, yeah. get rid of him. <laughs> Managing me out of the business. <laughs> because if, if I'm going to be focused and effective, um, I want to know that I've got, you know, t- to a certain point in the day, I'm like, yep, done my meditation, done my yoga, mm. done a chunk of work, and I've exercised. I've taken care of the things that at the end of the day are important to take care of. Yeah. It's the little things in life. Or as John Lennon said, life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. Yeah. So that, um, yeah, so that getting out of the office, going to the beach, and it's still early in the day. Everyone else is just in their in the normal nine to five environment, mm. like full on in the, in the thick of it at that moment. Mm. What are the things that you have told yourself that have helped to make that okay and helped to make it? Great question. Great question. Um, the, the things that I tell myself that, that work nine times out of 10 is, it, it's like almost you've got to discipline a child and say, now look, you've done your homework. You know, you've done your yoga and meditation. Mm. You've done the big chunk that you wanted to focus on. Now it's playtime, okay? And you'll get another playtime at the end of the day. <laughs> For now, yeah. you know, here it is. Because yeah. it's it's the best time of the day in terms of your biorhythms to get out and exercise. I've got the most energy then. I've spent a little bit of dopamine. Exercise produces more of that. Mm. It just makes perfect sense. So I, I do go through a, pretty much like a trial on a lawyer that's presenting the case to the judge. <laughs> yeah. I'm the judge during executioner. We all do this in our own head, though, right? Like, totally, yeah. We have the, the sort of witnesses and the, yeah. the judge and jury and everything. And don't get me wrong, there are yeah. days when, um, you know, there is a pressing deadline, and yeah. that happened yesterday, and it's happened again today. I've been really busy, and it's kind of like, you know what, I need to trade this off today. And that might mean I know that on Friday, 
I haven't set any appointments for the morning. Yeah, yeah. You know? so, so it's very strategic when you look at your week in general. And you know, I'd encourage people also in, in employment, I know that they may have a bit more flexibility about late starts, working from home, is that you really want to drop in these, these things that are important in your inner life, yeah. not your doing out-of-world yeah. life, yeah. your productivity life, but your being life. For sure. Um, I also love that thing you were just saying about um, children at playtime. Like, there's no child in the middle of playtime going, oh, I should be doing more maths now or whatever, right? Like, it's... Yeah, and this is the thing. It's a really nice thing, man. Organisations want creativity. They want innovation. That, the neuroscience shows, does not happen in a managed, dare I say, coercive, structured, sitting at your desk in front of a computer way. Mm, For sure. It just doesn't happen. And if we're going to be productive, we need to be creative. And we need to create the systems and the process and the environment and the culture that allows that creativity to flourish. Yeah. Um, do you have a, a sort of weekly review time or a plan time? Or yeah, like, Sunday. What, 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 do, what do you do? So when you get that feeling on Sunday that the week is upon you, it yeah. happens at different times on a Sunday for people, um, then, yeah, I'll sit down and i kind of go, what are the goals? What am I trying to achieve mm. this week? Where are the locked-in appointments? What can I fit around them? Like literally today is you know, broken up in half hour to take calls, to yeah. respond to things. And so it's just about, it's, it's a, and it's about reviewing that at the end of the day. You know, did I get there? What's next? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and any other, any other sort of productivity lessons that you've learned over the years? Um, a little notepad. You do. Okay. A little notepad, put it in the pocket, have it in my bag, just flip it out. Cause, and that's just for capturing ideas and kind of yeah capturing ideas as you know it's just that the the, 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 the prefrontal cortex can only hold so much in there and uh, once that's full then it forgets stuff so you want to unpack yep. that yeah as I think you describe yeah. yeah that's a really useful thing cool um, final thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, motivation are there times in so you mentioned before about um, that change management thing that you were doing. It's like, nah, this isn't going to necessarily change the world, but I'm mm-hmm. doing it. So, um, you know, are, are there other things like that that you find that are demotivating things for you? And then what do you what do you do about that? Look, I don't, I don't suffer from a lack of motivation. Yeah. And, and look, the thing that came to my mind was there are a couple of coaching clients that I have that are hard work for me. Um they operate from a fixed mindset and that's not a judgment of good, bad, right or wrong. Mm. It's just about they think they're good and they know they're good and they can't, you know, entertain the opportunity to grow and develop. And so they're, they're coaching clients that are told they need coaching and they're here yeah, to me. Right. Um, and, you know, it'll be literally five minutes before the call <laughs> and I'll be, you know, talking to my housemate or something going, oh, God, you know, go there. And then I'll stop and sort of say to myself, yeah, how resourceful are you going to be on this call? How effective are you going to be? So when it comes down to actually kind of checking in on my internal state mm. in the face of what I have to do, then it's it's a non-negotiable. It's kind of like you're either motivated or you're not. Yeah. If you're not, then just forget about it. Does that make you a harsh boss to yourself? Are you quite like, dude, just get on with it? Kind of is that is that your side of managing yourself? When it's when it's client facing, yeah. it's non-negotiable, right? Because yeah. I'm there to do a job. Yeah. And and something I really want to share that was really important. Um, Barack Obama said, "Yeah, it's just wonderful, beautiful leader." He said, um, "You know, in the early days, and even now, I'm faced with a task that is beyond me, and internally I wrestle with that. But I realise 
that it's not about me. It's the work. Hmm. Yeah. What's your... How do you apply that to you? What's your... I'll get out of the way. Like, so if I'm there whinging about a coaching client that I've got in five minutes' time, yeah. then that whinging needs to just get out of the way. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. Like, you have no part here. We'll deal with this later. Yeah. And that might mean renegotiating who I coach. It might mean reporting on that client because this isn't working. They need another intervention. Like, there are other realities that impose themselves. And if we are not conscious enough to explore what that means for the conversations we need to have, often we shirk our responsibility to have tough conversations because it's easy to just put up with shit. Yeah, for sure. That's why people send emails rather than have conversations. <laughs> That's emotional intelligence. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that feels like quite a good uh, note to wrap things up on. I know you mm. have to be away in a few minutes as well. Mm. Um, so uh, just, uh, yeah, it'd be good to know, like, what are you doing next? Like, what's your plan for the rest of the day? Like, where are you heading next? Plan for the rest of the day? Uh, meeting with something called the Dream Foundation in a moment. And uh, it's just a wonderful opportunity to, to collaborate with them. Um, they uh, basically uh, find... Uh, philanthropic funding for folks with uh, terminal illnesses or that um, uh, know that they are you know, uh, going to pass and how their social enterprises can be given life. Cool. So we're going to just you know, talk through that. I'm just excited about that. And then I have a nice. dance class. Um, after that, I've got to make a call with a client after this meeting and dance class and then home for some, some juice. And cool. Apparently the Sydney weather's about to turn as well. Oh, yeah. The, the pilot on my plane this morning was saying it's... Uh, some big southwesterly coming in and it's 50 mile an hour winds and um, yeah so Lucky you landed you got, when you a, did. you got a coat yes no yeah. I don't this is the thing about <laughs> Sydney you can never be prepared yeah so you might be in trouble for later on um, so yeah Pete Smith really great having you on Beyond Busy um, just tell the listeners where they can find you and how can they connect with you online yeah you can uh, check me out at petersmith.com.au that's where I do the work in shared value and corporate social responsibility and with social entrepreneurs and then over at corporatetrainer.com, I'm just having fun traveling around the world, making adventures and videos of all the crazy things I get up to on my adventures. Cool. Thank you. So thanks again to Peter for being on the show. Thanks also to Matt Cowdroy, head of Think Productive Australia, for putting that together for us. And just a Massive shout out to Matt, actually, because Think Productive Australia really is going from strength to strength at the moment. So well done to Matt on all the great work that you're, you're doing and that your team are doing over in Australia and also increasingly in New Zealand as well. So uh, you can find out more at thinkproductive.au and you can find all of it at thinkproductive.com. Uh, thanks also to my producer, Mark Stedman. Uh, I've been quite lax actually at getting my intros and outros for the podcast over to Mark at the right times. So Mark is producer and also kind of chief nagger as well. So uh, thanks, Mark, for uh, your patience with all of that. And I will endeavour to be better over the coming weeks. It's kind of a it's one of those things that always seems to get pushed to the back of my queue when I'm busy as I as I really am at the moment. Uh, lots going on. So a couple of bits of updates, speaking of how busy and how many things I have going on. Uh, So firstly, to say that you may remember we had Beat Bullman on the show, who's the uh, managing director of Evernote in Europe. And we've been working together. So we've been doing a a big collaboration on a white paper uh, addressing triple overload. So Beat's concept of cognitive overload, communication overload and information overload. 
practical solutions, both personally and organizationally, like what can you do about that? How can you address this uh, sort of current issue in the working world of triple overload? Um, so I'll be launching that white paper at four events. So if you're anywhere near Manchester, Birmingham, London or Bristol, come and say hi. We'll be in Manchester on Monday, the 9th of April. On Monday, the 16th of April, we'll be in Birmingham. On Thursday, the 19th of April, we're going to be in London. And it's also, coincidentally, Think Productive's birthday. That's what I'm saying. And Monday, the 30th of April, we'll be in Bristol. So if you are near or in any of those cities, uh, you'll find out more at getbeyondbusy.com and we'll put a link in the show notes there and also at thinkproductive.com you'll find details of those four events they are ticketed events but the tickets are free so you just need to sign up and it will be great to see you come and say hi and come and say hi also to uh, be it and the evernote team as well um, so lots going on the other things i've got going on are chiefly book related so if you're new here um, then one thing that is maybe useful for you to know is i'm kind of doing a lot of these interviews as some of the research for a book kind of research inspiration for a book called beyond busy which is going to be about how to get yourself off the hamster wheel define work-life balance and happiness success and success on your own terms and uh, have a healthy relationship with your productivity so uh, that's a book that is ongoing and kind of at the back of the queue with a couple of other books i'm doing at the moment as well so i'm working on a book with colette hennigan from optimum living and that's all about nutrition how to eat for maximum energy maximum stress reduction maximum productivity so that's going to come out next year and we're also doing a fifth anniversary uh, version of Productivity Ninja. So if you've not read Productivity Ninja before, the current version is out, uh, international bestseller. And we're going to be doing an updated version, basically, because a lot of the technology and various other things have changed over that that time. So it's a, a, a kind of excuse, really, to, to revisit it and to just check in with it and make sure that it still represents kind of my my view of the world and kind of looking at it like actually it's the challenge at the moment is what to change because a lot of it really feels very evergreen uh, but there are lots of bits that are uh, very sort of context specific and context heavy things like whatsapp didn't really exist when i first read that book back in 2011 2012 so uh, lots of stuff to change as i get into some of those chapters i'm sure so that's probably it for for now, uh, for this week. Um, one other thing is just to say thank you to one of our listeners, Chris Noble, who represented Beyond Busy in the Guardian Picks of the Week. So we were in the Guardian last week. Very exciting. And if you're new here because you're a Guardian reader, uh, then do go and check out some of the, the backlist of previous episodes. Um, some really good ones who I think you will uh, really enjoy. Uh, the Gerald Ratner one is a particular gem. Uh, that was talked about in the in the Guardian piece, but um, there's also some really good ones with Rachel Paris, who, by the way, shout out to Rachel Paris, just mad viral success through the Mash Report and just everywhere on social media at the moment. So well done to Rachel Paris uh, and Josie Long as well, who, if you're a Guardian reader, Guardian reader, you'll probably love, I'm sure, uh, and know of already and all that sort of stuff. So if you're here because of the Guardian, thanks to the Guardian and thank you to you, and please do subscribe and go and check out some of those backlist of episodes and all of that stuff getbeyondbusy.com you'll find all the details show notes and all of that stuff there as well so that's it for this week we'll be back in two weeks time where my guest will be Eugenie Teasley um, Chief Executive of the Goodall Foundation really looking forward to sitting down with her next week and recording that one and until then take care have a good couple of weeks and bye for now (music) 